possess In your satin tights Fighting for your rights And the old red, white, and blue Qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay. You want to go right now, Albert? Hey, kids. It's your old pal, ML Elric, back in studio, mainly because Detroit Edison left me with no confidence whatsoever that we would not lose power as we come to you live on Facebook. And we are brought to you live on Facebook this week by Altus Beer. I'm going to tell you a little bit about more about Altus in just a minute. But first, let me welcome uh, the regular crew, Mark Fellhauer. Sean Welcome Windsor. back down here. It's great to be... You know, Drew has one Weird. of those fancy toothbrushes up there that I saw. <laughs> and those, I don't know who the brand is, but they're, they're outstanding. Not only do they keep your teeth clean, but apparently they're good at getting the dead skin <laughs> off your heel. So uh, sorry about that, Drew. But uh, we have a very special guest. We're going to jump right now to introduce uh, our chief of police, James Craig, the chief of police for the city of Detroit. Going on, is it uh, seven years now, chief? Maybe longer? Seven oh, years uh, in Detroit, uh, July 1, that's uh, seven years. And then certainly June 16th of this year made uh, 44 years in law enforcement. Okay. Wow. I, I'm always glad when a Detroit official doesn't say six years, 17 days, 23 hours, and 19 minutes, because that <laughs> usually means they're thinking about about getting some of those moving boxes there. But, Chief, we know you have limited time. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, last week we had Tristan Taylor, who's one of the leaders of the movement now known as Detroit Will Breathe, and we had a lot of people who didn't like what uh, what Tristan had to say. I'm sure we had some people who liked what he had to say, and uh, I hope those people who weren't happy uh, are listening this week because one of the things that concerns me about our society, and we'll talk about this a little later on the show is once people hear something they don't like, they jet, as opposed to saying, well, let me stick around and see if we're going to get the other side. So, Chief, we, we really appreciate you making the time. And I, I want to dive right in and, and just talk a little bit about the tribunal that I attended on uh, Saturday. Um, I don't think I'm making any news here that the, uh, the marchers and some of the people who spoke are not happy with Detroit police or with uh, the mayor. But one of the things I heard over and over again from people who testified was they felt like Detroit police were disrespectful, that they were rude to them, that they may have mocked them, and in some cases tried to provoke them. And uh, I don't know whether that was true, but one of the things that struck me as I thought about this is a lot of these marchers have said things to Detroit police over the last three weeks that were disrespectful, that mocked them, uh, that were provocative. 
and that may have been meant to not necessarily find a solution, but to to uh, to to generate a reaction. And I wonder, uh, how do you reconcile those two things? How does that strike well, you? Well, let me just start by saying this. I mean, one of the things that uh, the group's leader and some of the fo- those who follow him, what they fail to mention is that during the first three days of the protest, there was a damage to police property, the cars, taxpayer dollars. Uh, police officers were attacked with different projectiles. Uh, certainly there was a, a, a very clear move to do what you saw in so many other cities around the nation. And I, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of the men and women the Detroit Police Department who executed appropriately. And I know uh, we averted something really bad happening because of that. In addition, uh, our citizens, we've had, uh, it's no secret that we had a number of community members embedded with the protesters, Detroiters, who didn't want to see violence, didn't want to see damage to property. And it's, it's really fascinating when you just step back and understand how Detroiters came together in one voice and spoke to those who made not one or two, but numerous efforts to really engage in riotous behavior. And so there's a video circulating and um, Pastor Mo, who was one of our community activists that was embedded on, uh, on the same day, ironically, with the this tribunal, we knew that uh, an organization or a group called Boogaloo was going to be in attendance. And I've seen what Boogaloo has done in other cities. Uh, I saw the associated violence. But the fact that Pastor Mo and a few other folks who will go nameless had direct contact with members of this group uh, and they opted, they did not come here to want to create violence and that they want to support the DPD. So I thought that was a magical moment, but really that's a snapshot of what transpired throughout the succeeding days of of protests and the reason why we didn't have violence. But I find it fascinating also that those who spoke, not one acknowledged that there was violence or an effort to destroy property. Uh, And so, those railroad spikes that I know ML doing a press conference, I showed you, Yeah. I showed the fireworks, uh, these small boulders. Uh, and, and it takes another one of our activists to explain, he was in the middle of the group of by and large peaceful protesters, but he also said he saw the agitators and they were very aggressive. They were trying to incite other members who were there to engage in what we saw in so many other cities. That's what's left out of the conversation. Well, and that's an important point. And I, I in the last week, I saw twice where DPD, uh, I, I don't think intervene is too strong a word, intervene to, to keep uh, marchers, peaceful marchers, separate from, and I'm going to call them peaceful bikers just because I don't know what was in their hearts. But one night, the uh, oh, marchers well, headed towards say, uh, the highwaymen, and then the iron coffin was there on Saturday. <laughs> Well, I got to cut in on on the peaceful bikers, and I didn't want to bring their name. They're not looking for any credit. 
But let, let me just say this. Um, they were adamant that nobody was going to come to Detroit from the outside and do two things. Uh, damage property or hurt police officers or other citizens. They made it abundantly clear to the agitators, and that's part of the story that nobody really knows. Uh, they, they certainly have not wanted to be acknowledged, but factually it happened. And I think between them, the Pastor Mose, Tafari Brents, who are really committed to seeing peace, uh, they played a key role. And, and to the other thing, you brought something else, uh, ML, about, you know, some of the stories that were told, mistreatment, excessive force. Uh, we've not taken one allegation lightly. In fact, what we've done, when there's an allegation made that a Detroit police officer overstepped, we've immediately opened an investigation. If a person has forwarded us a video of an encounter, uh, we've investigated, we've asked for any complainants to come forward. Uh, in one notable video, uh, we have not been able to locate uh, the person who was being pushed uh, because it was alleged that that was excessive force. But what the video doesn't show, what transpired prior to the officer's push. And so pushing in of itself doesn't mean it's, it was wrong. Uh, certainly if an officer was trying to clear and, and a, a agitator became somewhat disruptive or violent, uh, the officer can use that force that's both what I call reasonable and necessary. And so we've been very aggressive about looking at every complaint. Uh, and so we take any allegations seriously, but I just find it interesting that not one acknowledged during this tribunal uh, that there were attacks on police officers, that several police vehicles that our tax dollars pay for were destroyed. Now, again, I'm not complaining because when I look at the images from across the country, there was a lot more damage done. And I, I think you know that. Yeah, no, I think this was, this was a moment where whatever complaints we have about the situation in Detroit, we can look at it. And it doesn't mean that, that everything's perfect here, but we can look at this and say we certainly did better than just about anybody else. Um, before I have the yeah. other guys jump in, I wanted to talk to you about that issue of investigating complaints. And uh, yeah. I don't want to make this about me, but I'm curious when those complaints come in, if there'll be any sort of independent review of the uh, the circumstances, because I, I think back and I think this is one reason why people have concerns about police investigating themselves is when I got shoved by some police officers in a church and it was all caught on video. By the time the investigation was done, it was found that I was responsible for, I guess, flying backwards uh, towards the police. I don't know how that's <laughs> physically possible, but I think things right. like that raise questions about, you know, uh, is every, are the police going to see the world the way the rest of us see the world? And at that point, I think you remember, I said, I don't want anything to happen to these officers. I just want there to be a message sent that, you know, you can't be throwing folks around when they try and ask public officials questions. So I don't want to make this about me. I'm not trying to reopen that case. But, but I think for DPD's sake, it may help you get past some of these questions about the police looking at police differently by having uh, some third party take a look at these and say, yeah, you know, DPD said there was no wrongdoing here. That sounds about right to us. 
So let me just say this, ML, and I understand what you're saying. I think I've demonstrated over the seven years that I've been here, I've been transparent. I don't, don't use the word loosely. I think you've seen me come out uh, in a very transparent way. Uh, when things are not good, uh, we talk about it. Uh, I get no joy out of standing up in front of our community and reporting out. Uh, clear example, it was this department, not the FBI, not the MSP, that we took the initiative to do what? We raided our own narcotics unit because I had a strong hunch, if you will, as probably the cop in me for 44 years, that this one cop that the FBI had charged, this was not his first time. I also believe based on his conduct and then in other series of events uh, that predated my appointment, that uh, we certainly had a culture that not all, but there were some involved in criminal activity. So what did I do very transparently? I raided my own narcotics unit. This wasn't an outside entity coming in here. So I think people look in this city and say, well, you know, this chief will hold his officers accountable. And when it comes to my attention, I'm not gonna hide behind the, the, the blue veil, if you will, uh, when you're a police officer, you're held to a higher standard. If you make a decision to cross over into what I call criminality, you no longer wear the badge. Uh, we saw it in the Floyd situation. Uh, I was the first police chief in America that came out and said definitively he should have been arrested based on probable cause. That's what police officers do. We arrest on probable cause and then it's up to the concerned prosecutor's office to determine whether or not charging is appropriate. So when there's a lack of trust in a police department and its chief and, and, and those who manage it, clearly uh, I can understand the necessity to want to have outside reviews, but I think we, we forget one thing. Uh, the police commission, who is the oversight entity, who play the role of an independent review. Uh, certainly this police commission is not gonna cover up. The police commission is always asking for updates on different investigations. They have their own investigative arm. They do demeanor type complaints, non-criminal complaints against police officers. But even when they become aware of criminality, they hand that over to our professional standards. And the last thing I'll say about that, I think it's important to note that I'm conscious of, you know, police departments that are in need of, of an overhaul and how the public has lost total confidence. Um, one of the things that I want to do as soon as I got appointed seven years ago, and it took me a while to do it, but I ended up hiring a former U.S. attorney uh, to be the director of professional standards section. Why was that important? Uh, didn't come up in policing. A prosecutor and uh, Chris Gravelin, who I'm, I'm making reference to, was a prosecutor first at Wayne County Prosecutor's Office. He then uh, moved over to the U.S. Attorney's Office, where he was a prosecutor. So he has a different view of the world. And it, it kind of gives you and the public that reassurance. He didn't just come join the police department. All of a sudden, he's hiding behind the, the blue veil and, and trying to cover up. And ML, I have so much respect for you. Uh, I've said to you privately, 
I know you were, you know, where many of the skeletons are buried in this town. You and, and a couple of others, maybe you, Charlie the Duff and, and George Hunter, are probably three of the journalists that could write books about what you know and what you've seen. And you've seen this police department. And you know seven years ago what it was like. You know that seven years ago, this department was under a consent judgment that had gone on for, I want to say, it was in excess of 10 years. And within one year, one year, through holding, not the cops. See, the focus is always misplaced when you focus on the people doing the work. No, no. You focus on the bosses because if the bosses are failing, the organization, the community, they must go. And that's what we did. And within one year, we were successfully out of the consent judgment. And that's what accountability looks like. So I know I took some time in really building a background uh, on this dynamic. Should an outside agency investigate versus an internal? And, and one last thing I think it's important to note. So, uh, you know, we do all our officer-involved shooting incidents. Uh, although the team that does it is a combined MSP DPD team. Uh, that's the way we've done it. It's worked out very well for us. Uh, you may remember a couple of shooting incidents. Well, one officer-involved death, the young man who was riding the three-wheeled off-road vehicle who was shot with a taser. Uh, that was a DPD investigation. We were very transparent. And I'm going to say a different, uh, different head of the MSP, but I came out, spoke to our community about that situation. The head of the MSP wasn't there. Another incident, uh, while it, it, it turned out to be a, a, uh, a good shooting, uh, that was a shooting incident involving the federal agent uh, in the city of Detroit. Once again, this chief, this department conducted the criminal investigation. From the beginning, I was very transparent. I made a commitment to hold a community forum. And then I made a commitment that we would give the investigation over to our prosecutor who would then conduct a separate but independent investigation. So when you hear that, you know, it really drives home uh, how we function here in Detroit, which is not like a lot of places. And, and when we give our warrant requests over to the prosecutor's office, the prosecutor, she's going to do her own investigation. She does not rely on DPD or the MSB DPD team to do it. It's independent. And so I think when you look at all of those things, uh, it really makes a difference in, in building trust in our community. So I, I appreciate that background. That sounds like a no, but I think the background was very, very well, it important. Was long, it was a long no, but I was respectful. <laughs> it was respectful. No, no, no. It, it, it was, I understand. It was and important I context. And I, I think when you mentioned the uh, the federal monitor who oversaw the Detroit Police Department and slept with Kwame Kilpatrick, but that's separate. But um, when that happened, uh, people forget that one of the reforms that came in was non-lethal projectiles and tasers and things like that because dpd up until then i think as a fallout from the malice green incident pretty much your yes. options were shoot or run and a lot of guys were shooting uh, and some women too so now the it's it's just interesting to see the arc of history here where the things that were provided to dpd to make these incidents less lethal now people want to take away because right. because you are using them to defuse situations but 
they tend to hurt people. But so I, I, I appreciate that context. And, and before I let Mark jump in, I'll just say, uh, I'm sure there are things we can do. And you've said, and the mayor's said, that you see need for reform and you, you appreciate the perspective that the uh, marchers are bringing. I think you're talking more of a national reform rather than yeah, local. Uh, you but- know what? I'm so happy that you brought that up because I've said it in both on national news programs. I've said it locally. I've said it to you during our interviews. National reform, yes. And I've also said very succinctly, let's look at uh, those model agencies. You know, many of the departments that wanted their federal oversight adopted best policing practices. And unless some of them backslid and stopped doing what was required, many of these agencies, I mean, the LAPD under federal oversight adopted best policing practices. The city of Cincinnati, where I was chief at, adopted best policing practices. Now, again, it's always room for improvement. But let's look at what the the good agencies or great agencies are doing, because nationally, many police departments are not functioning. It was our police officers that came to the mayor and I and said, look, we want body-worn cameras. Fascinating. In other places I've worked, didn't want anything to do with it. And there's one other thing I want to put on the table that sometimes gets lost, and and this is sometimes uh, a direct jab at journalists. You know, I understand, you know, everybody's in competition, uh, sensationalized news, but I'm going to say it because it needs to be said. You know, I don't put race on bad policing. If it's a black officer and, and you know, you've been here for a while, you, you investigated when an African-American officer is involved in a number of, of shooting incidents, some that were deemed questionable, not sure if he was ever charged. So I don't want to paint that picture, he's African-American officer. But today, and this is not just here in Detroit, this is national, if a white officer makes a decision to use deadly force, there's a tendency before the chief executive or before due process, it's a bad shooting. Now, if anybody on your panel sits there and say, oh, that doesn't happen, chief, it happens every time. The first question I get, was the officer white? Was the suspect black? Okay, what if the suspect, or what if the officer was black and the suspect was black or the suspect was white? Does that change the dynamics of the shooting incident? And so when you talk about, you know, unifying, we shouldn't be afraid to come out and talk about what's really happening. What about those white officers who come to work every day, do a phenomenal job, or the white officers who uh, made the ultimate sacrifice? I can name some who have done, and they're heroes. How do you think white officers are feeling when many times they're painted with a broad brush? That's a racist officer. Every officer? And so we need to have that conversation because it doesn't get often talked about. I'm not afraid to talk about, not because I'm African-American. I mean, heck, I, be, I started in the business when policing was very different. I started at a time in the 70s where my senior partner, who was white, 
didn't want me in the police car with him. So I understand discrimination, but I'm not going to sit here and lump everybody in the same bucket because it's absolutely not fair. And so I speak for all of the officers, not just here in Detroit, but across this country. And when we get a bad one, whether they're white, black, brown, Asian, it doesn't matter. Hold them accountable. To that point, I don't know if you saw Minneapolis Chief um, Arredondo. It's not easy easy to pronounce as Craig is, but um, I don't know if you saw him on 60 (laughs) Minutes. Yeah, Um, I know him. I didn't see the 60 Minutes segment. A couple interesting things from there. He was talking about holding officers accountable, and he has a big issue, and obviously that city (laughs) has had a lot more problems than we have here. Um, He said about half of the bad cops that he has let go, he had to rehire due to arbitration with the police union. Um, are there any issues with the union here in the police department, in your opinion? No, you know what? Uh, I have a good relationship with, with all three of our unions. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we agree with everything. I think if you were to have them on your show, they would tell you, well, chief holds people accountable. We don't always agree because we have to fight for our, our members' rights. Uh, but if, if there's one takeaway... But he's fair. He's fair. I'm not going to play politics. I don't like politics. I'm not going to put my finger up and see which way the the wind is blowing and say, okay, there's a segment of the community who's very vocal and loud on this issue. So I think I need to do X and Y. Negative. You know, 44 years as a practitioner, I am a use of force expert. There's things I know about use of force that to a lay person are not going to know. It's important for me to, as part of being transparent, explain. That doesn't mean people are going to agree, but at least take the time to educate the community, bring them to a place uh, to where uh, maybe we can meet halfway. Because I respect this community. I respect all the communities I've worked in. Face it, I work for the community. And so this is not about me. It's not about the police. We know who our bosses are. But that said, you hire the right police chief, hold that police chief accountable. Hold him accountable. And because I'm going to tell you something else, and ML, you brought it up, this thing with these monitors. I'm going to tell you what I think about some of them. Money grab. The monitor in Oakland, who, by the way, was a former monitor here in Detroit when I got here, wanted to kept moving the goalposts, kept moving it out. Why? Because I told him when I first got here and I came in, as you know, ML, under emergency management, I said, my goal is to fire you. So he looked at me, strange, a little bit of a smile. My goal was to fire him. You've been here too long. The taxpayers are paying a million dollars a year for this. And I've oftentimes said, bottom line, hire the right police chief. That's it. Hold bosses accountable and magic begins to happen. It is really just that simple. Uh, defund the police, a very common phrase, means a lot of different things. I have heard that uh, your budget has been slashed. Has your budget been slashed, and do you have an overall opinion on that mo- that motto of defund the police? Um, first of all, I think that those who came up and created this defund the police movement, um, I understand what they want. Uh, They want money or funds to go into social services. 
of funding for, you know, things that police officers don't have to or should not be involved in. I will tell you, much of what they say along that path makes perfect sense to me. Now, if you're talking about cutting money from a police department, now let's face it, Detroit police officers know better than I what defunding looks like. Let's 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 go back in time. Mayor Bing, pre-bankruptcy, 10% pay cut from Detroit police officers across the board. 10%. That was defunding the police. In a police department that was already demoralized, that didn't feel supported at the time, continuing high crime, you had a community that had lost confidence in the police department. Oh, you want to talk about defunding? Oh, we know it well. But uh, to your specific question, there's been no budget slash. I know the mayor is committed to making sure that the officer's salaries are equitable. He's opened contracts several times uh, during his administration, try to bring that officer's pay up to where it needs to be. Uh, and it's, it's working. Uh, but here's the other thing that oftentimes gets overlooked. When you talk about a police budget, any idea, do you have any idea what part of the budget uh, is, is the largest chunk of the budget? So when you talk about cutting, let me just take you down the path. Please. Oh, I'm assuming it's benefits. Yeah. It's you say be. personnel, personnel costs, police officers. So if you want to have an appreciable cut, you have to do what? Lay off or cut the police budget through personnel costs. So I know what defunding the police looks like here in Detroit because in 19, 1980, month of September, and Mel doesn't like that because I'm giving a specific month and year. <laughs> 1980, guess what I got? I got a pink slip that said, you are laid off. And uh, that was my open door and gift to move to Los Angeles. 1,500 police officers. Now that, my friend, is what is described as defunding. So we're a much smaller police agency today. So if we really just stay focused on defunding, not going to work out real well. Most Detroiters want more. But I do agree with some of the things that the uh, activists have talked about relative to, well, does a police officer have to be a mental health worker? No, yeah. we don't. The only time we should deal with the mentally ill is when the system has failed and they've become violent. And when that happens, you know, there needs to be uh, police intervention for obvious reasons. Or we talk about domestic incidents. You notice I, I said I didn't say domestic violence. I said domestic incidents. And they say, well, how come a social worker can't intervene on that? Why not? It's an incident. A couple got into a verbal dispute. No violence. No history of violence. Mm -hmm. We don't care. But if it's a domestic violence incident, police have to come in and investigate and take appropriate action if necessary. Speaking of violence, uh, a very violent weekend this past weekend. Um, and homicides are up. I'm just curious, uh, do the protesters take resources away from neighborhoods? Uh, is that is there an effect to that at all? Is there a correlation between the two? You know, what a great question. Um, my critics, their short-sightedness 
and hanging out in mommy's basement and staying on the computer, uh, they'll make statements like, this is excuse making. Let me just start out by saying this. Um, this phenomenon of increased violence, let's not forget we're still in a COVID environment. At one point I had 650 officers quarantined at one point. And then on the heels of COVID, and we're still in COVID now, by the way, on the heels of COVID, we went into what? Protests. Early during the protests, violence. So let's talk about our, 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 our the other cities. Los Angeles, significant increase in homicides. Chicago, 100 people shot uh, over the weekend. Um, and, and that's just naming two cities. There have been a host of other cities experience the same increases in violence. So is it a lack of having the right strategy or can we just take back, take a deep breath, get out of mommy's basement and say, okay, COVID impact. Absolutely. Uh, look, I'm no doctor. I'm no research specialist, although I do, I have done research, but I'm a practitioner of 44 years. So my opinion does count. And when I say that, I mean simply this. You know, I predicted even before the Floyd, the tragic Floyd incident, that because of COVID and the orders to stay at home, that we could be facing a violent point during COVID. Um, so much so, I even predicted, my staff will tell you, uh, that there could be unrest. Because when people have a sense of hopelessness, they're confined to their homes. People are losing jobs. That is stressful. So there's gonna be, a, even our barricaded cause or sus, barricaded suspect cause that where our SRT respond to, guess what? Have increased. Why is that? Is it accidental? No, it's not. So when you look at violence and you look at the kind of violence we had over the last weekend, so you had a backyard party you get in an argument over a parking space, so you opt to do what? Take a gun out and shoot it. A parking space. Senseless, cowardly violence. And so to your direct question, so just like all the cities I just named, Chicago, Los Angeles, especially those cities that uh, Philadelphia, those cities really took a big hit on, on rioting. There were riots. Do you know what it takes to manage? And I'm not talking from textbook again. Again, I was on the front seat uh, during the civil unrest in Los Angeles in 1992 when the two officers were or three officers were acquitted. I know what a riot is. I know what it looks like. And I know the drain on staffing. So in Detroit, we averted a full fledged riot. Was there a cost to it? Well, I had to staff that. It's not like we have a ready reserve of police officers. Well, we think a riot's going to happen, so the citizens are going to let us fund uh, 350 additional officers that we can put in a closet and activate them when there's some significant crisis impact in the city. doesn't work that way. Your resources are your resources. So you have to go to the problem. And one of the things I want to also say, because when you look at these other cities, and I promised not to name the cities, but 
Look at national news. We saw blocks where police officers did what? They retreated. And you ask the big question, why? Mass looting, cars being smashed, police cars, but no presence of the police. Retreat. One city right now is grappling with what to do with an angry mob that did what? Took over six city blocks. It was a shooting two nights ago. ML, tell me you know this. Two people got shot and the angry mob says, you're not coming in here. Who does that? Who allows it even more importantly? So that said, because I was on that front seat in LA, I know what the first night of the riots looked like in LA. It was a very dark moment for the LAPD. I remembered it, a proud organization brought to its knees because we didn't do what we were sworn to do. A lieutenant got to the scene. He saw the looting, property damage, people being beaten and pulled. We remember Reginald Denny pulled from a truck, pulled out of the car and beaten within an inch of his life, and the LAPD retreated. I never forgot it. And so one of the things I told my, my staff, because I watched what was going on around the nation, this department doesn't retreat. Our community expects us to be visible, keeping this community safe, keeping the law-abiding protesters safe. We don't retreat. I'm sorry that took long on that answer. No. I, I hope I hope I captured something of what you wanted to talk about. Very much so. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel like you're exhausted, Chief. <laughs> I, I'm I'm serious. I'm feeling good, man. Then let me tell you something. You know, I, I shared this with ML. And by the way, his wife did probably one of the most wonderful pieces, written piece of work that I've experienced in my time as a police chief. And um, and really, she took time to understand what it was like for me to go through COVID, you know, and as a leader of this organization battling COVID and many of my, my men and women battling COVID at the same time, you know, how does that work? And, and so... Uh, no, not exhausted. In fact, one of the reasons why I felt personally I was able to fight this deadly disease, uh, I do it every day. I work out every day, every single day. No, I don't go to a gym. I'm fortunate to have a gym in my house. I go in there and work out. That's how I start my day so I can deal with ML, some some <laughs> interview later on in the day. <laughs> so... That's how I start my day, and I tell you, uh, uh, it really does make a difference. So, no, I'm not exhausted. You know, this has been a trying year. 2020 has been unique, more unique than any other time in in my career. I think many will attest to that, my colleagues from around the country. Battling COVID on the heels of COVID right into violent protests. And so you got to be in a constant state of readiness, constant state of readiness. Well, Chief, we appreciate you making time for us. You've been very generous with your time. I think Sean wanted to get a quick question before we thank you and let you get on with the rest of your day or maybe maybe that workout. Maybe you need another workout after this. I don't know. I do my workout first thing in the morning. Okay. okay. I get it over with because I never know. You might call say, I want to do an interview with the Chief. Yeah. So, no, no. I, I do it first thing in the morning. Well, I'll call oh, you chief. early. I want to get you when you're a little tired. That way I got a chance of hanging in there. Okay. <laughs> So, Chief, I have no way of preparing for Mike Elwick. I mean, exercise or not, there's there's no good way to get ready for that. I just want to, I want to say that. But to to get back to defunding 
to real quick, um, the, the other piece of that, and I don't like that word at all. I think it's a, a, a bad word for, a, not a bad word, but a, it's not a very um, accurate word for what they're talking about. But the other part of the defund movement is this notion that the police in our country become too militarized. And I'm curious what you you have to say uh, or what you think about that and just that, that notion. You know, I'm, I'm glad that's another great question, Sean, because uh, I, I've, I've gotten it so many times and we're absolutely not the military. And I recognize that, you know, you see a, a modern police department driving through neighborhoods and armored vehicles, officers masked up, riot helmets, uh, without there being a crisis. Bad look, bad look. In fact, the first time we've done helmets and riot gear over the seven years I've been here, first time when the protests turned violent. The one, th one of my takeaways from Los Angeles, and I remember as a, a young lieutenant, and we were having some protests, and I never forget the chief of the bureau coming up and said, we don't wear helmets unless, you know, things are going bad. Because psychologically, whether, you know, you, you've seen police horses, right? Uh, generally, when you see a police horse and an officer's mounted, uh, children are running up to this horse. Uh, adults are running up because they're friendly. Guess what changes? When that horse has its riot gear on, the blinders, and that horse is all tacked up with an officer mounted with face shield and a long baton, that horse changes. It's psychological. I'm very aware of that. So I'm sensitive. We don't want to look like the military. But let me give you an example of when the look is critical. So we had a, a suspect, ML probably, he's a, a storehouse of, of history and information. On the east side of Detroit, we had a situation, I want to say late last year, where a barricaded suspect, who by the way was suffering from mental illness, who didn't receive his proper treatment, ended up killing uh, three women. Uh, they laid in the street. Um, an off-duty school police officer also sustained uh, an injury from that. He was shot. He survived. And an on-duty Detroit police officer was all five people shot, three dead. Active shooter. So, of course, when you, you look at that scenario, we cannot and will not drive your standard police car up into a hot zone. One, you put the community at risk. Many times we take that armored vehicle so we can facilitate rescue. Many times we take that armored vehicle, get up close so we can have a conversation with the suspect. So the only time you see this militarized look is when we're dealing with violence, when we've been attacked. And just like when you saw and ML, you were out there and you saw the officers with the helmets, the shields, the, the batons. And as they moved in after several warnings, the psychological effect of taking the baton and hitting uh, the, the, the protective shield psychologically does something. But so should we not have our officers wear helmets when being attacked? Should we not have when we have an active shooter situation? We're talking about a heavily armed suspect who is a danger to the community, a danger to our officers. So 
I reject that. Now, if we were on patrol, driving armored vehicles around on routine patrol, that'd be a problem. That's not what we want to look like. And so I agree on the appearance. I disagree on the protective nature of why we would, in some instances, deploy the equipment. Um, I, I saw the comments you made regarding the shooting of Richard Brooks, and I think you said it was very difficult to justify that. I was, you know, it, it looks bad. I didn't understand. I'm not a, I'm not a police officer. I was surprised he was charged the way he was charged. However, it, what what is the problem there? Is it training? Do police need to be trained differently? Yeah, you know, when you see problems like that, so here's a couple of problems, and I'm going to be sensitive because I've been um, warned not to throw other cities under the bus, uh, and, and I'm not. I mean, I can state fact over mm -hmm. fiction. Uh, factually, I'm, I'm told that in the state of Georgia, you know, the training requirement may be different than many other places like the L.A.'s, the Detroit. A training does make a key difference. One of the things that I didn't know, and that's why I kept saying on both national and local news, I didn't have all the facts. And it's not like Floyd. I mean, anybody could look at the Floyd yeah. situation and know that Floyd was murdered. But this... There were some dynamics, uh, certainly uh, when you watch the interaction between the officer, officers, and the individual in Atlanta, it started off peaceful, under the influence. I mean, anytime you're dealing with an intoxicated person, you know, uh, you can't always predict how it will turn out. Could it escalate? You know, some were making statements that, you know, uh, the guy in Atlanta never offered resistance. That's not true. He did. He began to uh, resist as soon as they were trying to put handcuffs on him. At some point, uh, the suspect punched the officer, at least one of the officers in the face, took his taser. And here's where it gets a little tricky. So... Some states, like we carry tasers. Taser is considered a non-lethal device. So if it's a non-lethal device, one would assume that, how can you use lethal force with someone armed with a non-lethal? I mean, there's a lot of arguments for or against. Certainly, we go into the non-lethal aspect Certainly, if a police officer is tased and, and, and immobilized, a suspect could take possession of his sidearm, and that certainly could turn into a fatal uh, encounter. You had two officers, you know, that were involved in this situation. Yes, the taser was, was taken, but in the state of Georgia, and the prosecutor said this is a non-lethal weapon. But the state of Georgia says that a taser is considered a lethal weapon. So how do you justify? That prosecutor also said, which I thought this was interesting, that that taser had been fired twice and could not be fired again. Is that something a, an officer would be trained to be aware of in a situation like that, that it's already been fired twice, therefore it can't be fired again, and he's running away? Yeah, because if you fire it, 
you have to reload new cartridges yes. into the taser. Should the so officer have been aware of that? Well, of course, the officer should have been aware that he was armed with a taser, but also, and again, I don't know all the facts. Mm -hmm. I can only go by what I saw, and I've really looked at this matter very critically. I thought, based on what I saw, is that the suspect did discharge the favor. There was like a puff of smoke yeah. or something, which, which suggests that there were cartridges still loaded in. I don't know if that taser was fired twice by the officer. It may have been one time ineffective. Don't know. Don't know if, in fact, the suspect fired. It appeared that way. Mm -hmm. And so those are the kind of things, you know, when people call me and give an opinion and I don't have all the facts, you know, I say that if it's if it's my department and I know all the nuances of, of what occurred that led up to a force, uh, I can probably talk more eloquently about what took place. And so it wasn't as clean. Uh, and I don't want to sit here and judge the prosecution, uh, but I do know uh, due process is critically important. Uh, officers should have a right to due process. And I guess the core question I have is I know that there was an outside agency doing the investigation, uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, outside agency. Was their investigation complete when the prosecutor made the decision? Hmm. Or did the prosecutor make the decision before the complete investigation? It's a great question. It's a great question. Well, well I'm not in mommy's basement. I'm in Drew's basement. I think you're from where I sit. I think you're doing a, a hell of a job, wait a chief. You you in the basement? <laughs> I'm yeah. in a basement. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's not my. It's not mommy's though. It's Drew's. So it's Drew's. Okay. Yeah, so I guess Drew's that's all right. Mommy, but but yeah. from where I sit, I think you're doing a hell of a job. But what do I know? <laughs> well, chief, no, I appreciate. It. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for making the time. We will never complain about long answers. We we think no. that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of truth. Some people say the devil's in the details. I find the truth is in the details. Uh, yes. Just a little historical perspective. When I moved back to Detroit 21 years ago, there were at least a thousand more police officers. And uh, and while we may always have room for improvement, if, if you ask me and nobody ever does, so I'm just going to volunteer <laughs> it. You can't pay cops or teachers enough, enough because yeah. if one doesn't do their job, the other one has to. And it's neither one of them are easy. So we'll let Absolutely. you get back to work, Chief. Thank you so much for Thank taking you. the time to joining us. And uh and we have we have a gift for for guests on this show. I have to speak to your people about if we can give it to you. But uh, there's a 12 pack of Altus beer waiting for you somewhere for all guests oh, no, on our well, show. You know, we, I tell you what, give it to who's the basement guy? Who's the basement? Drew. Oh, yeah, Drew. We, hey, give it to Drew. Okay, <laughs> right. he's in the basement. Let Drew have it. I appreciate that. Okay. Hey, <laughs> Thank hey thanks, Chief. Chief uh, thanks, Chief. Stay all safe. Right, and have a good one. Thank get, you. Get some rest. We don't want you getting sick again. Yeah. Okay. Oh, believe me, I don't want to go back down that path. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Okay. Have, Have a great one. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, Chief. All right. You too. All guests of Harriot ML Sola Detroit receive a 12 pack of Altus Lager. Oh, he loves beer. I got to tell you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when you see news clips or quotes, you just you don't get that full story. And, you know, his answers are long, but I, I he's got a lot of detail to cover. And I think that's. I don't know. I, I he's pretty he's pretty damn sharp. I'm glad he's the police chief here. That that was a that was a pretty long no on the uh, independent. No, I know. I, in, I, and I wasn't he knows, asking. He knows for... how to he knows how to answer what he wants to answer, and that's fine. well. Elric just doesn't like to listen to anybody that sounds <laughs> takes as long as he does. <laughs>
Right. Uh, I mean, that's that's what's going on. By the way, the thousand fewer cops, how many fewer citizens? <clears throat> let's give a little context. Well, sure. okay, that's, a, that's so, a very fair point. So let's say there were, <laughs> let's say uh, there were maybe seven hundred fifty, eight hundred thousand citizens in uh, nineteen ninety nine, and there were maybe to be conservative, 3,500 police officers. Uh, so now the police ranks have dropped by about a third, but our population has not dropped by about a third. No, what's it dropped by? Uh, it's 100, it's about 650 maybe, 675. So. Well, I don't know. You said 99, the population in 99, 965,000. Today, 672,000. So yeah. it's about right. But yeah, that, I mean, that, it's that, close that, to it. That number was bullshit. That was... Uh, that was <laughs> Why? Because it... They, they really... Well, first didn't of all, they... narrative? They, the, exactly. uh, the city challenged the census count, and when you challenge the census count, if I recall the stories we wrote at the time, the Census Bureau essentially defers to you. And if they count again later and it's way down, you don't get So the they census. added 200,000 people that, w- that didn't exist? That's what you're saying? Uh, I'll just say that there were not a million people in the city of Detroit in 1999. Okay. But uh, Coleman Young was trying to prove that there were a million people in the city of Detroit back in the early 90s, and yeah. that took a huge effort. So I think, uh, anyways, we don't, need, uh, yeah. to, well, we you don't p- need to dive in it. What we need to do... You did point out, though, well, the salary not- pay. What, what, is a, what does an o- starting officer get in Detroit? Is it 40000 Is that the... Oh, I don't think it's that high. Is that the, um, the median salary? I mean, it's yeah. just, it's way too low for the job you're asking them to and do. It's, and it's come up a fair amount since 1999. The one thing that people need to understand about police, though, is... No cop makes their base salary. They are so shorthanded that a lot of police will almost not necessarily double their their salary, but they'll make at least five figures more based on overtime, which is great because the police like to get the extra money because they don't make enough. But on the on the downside, that means almost every officer you're dealing with has been working a long day. Yeah. And I think we all know what it's like when we're like, ah, oh, I, I needed to well, get they, home hours ago. And these work, are young people who have families at home, so there's... Well, when they work overtime, you don't have to give another officer benefits. So. You don't have to give another officer benefits, but if you're paying that much more in overtime, you could bring another officer. Recruitment no, is a real problem you. for it's DPD. A big problem. And, uh, and so, you know, those are, those are all issues. No simple answers here, and anybody who tells you they have a quick solution... All they're telling you is they're a liar or mm-hmm. a simpleton. So we're not going to try and solve all these quickly, but we do well, want to provide r- that context. Right, and real quickly to the point about well, here the, comes uh, a simple answer. Over, <laughs> hey, the shooting over the weekend. Oh, yes, my sir. God. The shooting over the weekend at the party, right? There were multiple the, shootings over the weekend, a couple of No, he, he referenced one about yes. a parking space or a party or whatever. The cops, no matter how many are in the streets, are never going to stop, stop that, that shooting. Nope. They're just not. Nope. That's not a cop issue. That is a society issue. About that has a lot of different layers. So and I, well, I wanted to make that point when he was talking about it. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're they're over here with the the protests. But the it question is though, the, the question is though, you got to solve those shootings as fast as possible. You know, you, now detective work is different. Yeah, I, that's after the fact though, right? I mean, well, the other thing is, yeah, if, but you got to do it within the well, first forty-eight. <laughs> if you have police presence in the neighborhoods, you may not have Reduce. such a congregation because people like maybe a little. We better not get out of hand because the rollers will be here. But I, I will tell you, uh, one of the first uh, police fatalities that, um, that I was aware of after moving back to Detroit, and there have been far too many since then, was a police officer who was sent to help uh, uh, settle down a party that had gotten out of control. 
And while he was talking to people at the party about, hey, you know, we got to dial this down, people got to go home, somebody walked up behind him and shot him in the back of the head without warning. So, so I just want to say I have a lot of respect for the, the marchers and the protesters, and I think their issues are valid. I know from my own personal experience that sometimes when police investigate themselves, you don't get what you think is a fair and just conclusion. But I think it's just foolish, beyond foolish, to try and say that most of these officers are not trying to do their level best and that they put their lives on the line for a pittance. And uh, if somebody walked up to you on the street and said, hey, I'm going to give you 25, maybe I'll give you 50 grand a year, and today you might get killed, very few of us would say, you know what? I'm in. Count me in. I'm going to do that. And by the way, because the city sometimes gets run like shit, uh, all the benefits we promise you, we may have to take some of those back from you. So uh, are you ready to sign? Yeah. And you say no. And some of the people who are ready to sign, they may not be the people who you want coming out there in a crisis. We, we, we really do need to professionalize the police more. It would yes. be great if we could get people who have uh, more training, maybe a little more mature. Uh, and Detroit, and this is, this is uh, well known to, to people at the department, but maybe not to people outside the department, the city of Detroit and the police department subsidizes police services throughout the state because many officers come here, get their certification. Maybe they can't get a job at the department in Sterling Heights or Petoskey or Bad Axe, but they come here, they work for a couple of years, they get certified, they get trained. It's expensive to train people. You send them to the academy, you're paying them while you're doing that. They are not able to fight crime while they're a student. And then in a couple of years, that hometown department they want to work at has an opening, and they say, oh, are you still interested? Because now you've got some experience. You've got some real-world experience. We'd love to have you. And so just as that officer is kind of figuring things out, we lose them. And so uh, the rest of the state owes us a, uh, a big uh, thank you, but I don't think we're going to get it. What we tend to get is a big F you, but, yeah. uh, but so be it. But now i got to thank somebody because not only do I, I really – like what they do for a living, but because they are not only our Facebook Live sponsor, but they are a sponsor of our show, and that's Altus Beer. And they are an original Detroit lager, brewed right on the east side, um, and now they're brewed downtown. But uh, they're making a comeback in the greatest city in the world. And, you know, every week I, I say, seriously, I love it. I grab a case when I'm headed to hockey. And, and that's true, <laughs> but pretty soon I will be headed back to hockey. What? So, Yes, oh, we are going to be skating again next month. So, uh, so I can't wait to get there with some Altus, which we will drink in the parking lot because I don't want people in the locker room. Everybody who skates with us is going to have to have their temperature taken and uh, submit to a little oximeter to see that they're... Uh, that they're uh, do you have to? Don't you have antibodies? I, I do, but I don't know if they're any good, so I'll point oh, the touchless great. thermometer at my own head. Right. But anyways, even when I'm not skating, I have plenty of Altus stocked up at home. Here's a fun fact. Uh, about Altus. Yeah. It only takes six of them to make anyone so a 10. So uh, think about that and then practice safe sex. We have a lot of things that start here in Detroit that went away, but boy, am I glad Altus is back and isn't going anywhere. It's a lager that packs a punch and is seriously smooth. So go pick up a case today. Now you can get it on tap at your favorite bar or restaurant. If you don't know where to go, check out altus.beer. They will give you the location nearest you. I promise this beer is insanely good and that you will be thanking me for the suggestion. I have to apologize to Drew because I'm not sure the Chief's case or 12-pack is ever 
going to no. get to him. I did drop off I'll Tristan's after the tribunal yeah. on Saturday, and uh, so he says thank you. Good. Uh, we also have to welcome a new sponsor. We're very uh, excited about this sponsor. They sponsored the show even before they sponsored the show by donating, and that is The Butchery, which is the place to go for prime meats. Sean would tell you it's his pants, but no, it's the butchery. Uh, wow, there's a showstopper. Okay, uh, you know you should you should go there because they have been, silly is not the word. For yes, it. A, yes What's no. The word? If you if you like that uh, four ounce tube steak, um, but if you like four a little ounce. more a little more meat or a little more meat on the bone, you can get your meat in any portions you want. Everything from a single steak to half a cow. Uh, Everything Chef just just take it easy. Everything Chef Dave puts out is made in house, like their high end sausage and brats, and even his wife's delicious homemade desserts. I love brownies and pies, and I'm told those are the best. I'm going to be finding out soon myself, very soon. So all this month for listeners, Chef Dave is giving a free pound of bacon to everyone that spends fifty dollars or more. Just tell them ML sent you and get your free pound of bacon when you spend fifty dollars. Kind of reminds me of Ali Fredder. Remember, I'll give you yeah. five pounds of coffee if I can't bet yeah. you get your well, best deal. That goes way back. Chef Dave will give you his best deal. And a free pound of bacon. You just got to spend 50 The Butchery on Orchard Lake Road, it's easy to find. Just take Telegraph to Orchard Lake Road and head west. I promise you it's worth the drive. Call 248-682-COWS. That's 248-682-COWS. Or visit their website, thebutcherysl.com. The best place for prime meats, eats, and treats. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in, and I'll never change. Lots of places, teams, professionals, uh, amateurs, high schools, colleges, you name it, have nicknames that they've been thinking about changing. I still grieve. Eastern Michigan University yeah. decision to ditch the Hurons, not because I thought they could have kept the Hurons, but because I thought they should have gone with the Emus. They did not. They went with the Eagles. You don't think they should have kept the Hurons, even when the tribe uh, liked it? Well, I'm not saying they should or shouldn't have. I'm just saying if you're oh. going to change your mascot and your EMU, how do you not pick an Emu? It's fast. It's wingless. It kind of looks like Sean. It's fantastic. The big yellow eyes. I mean... The the uh, the amazing plumage, uh, you might even call them an effing peacock. I don't know. That's, the emu emus. Oh, that yeah. I, I don't go for the insurance bird. But, oh, the uh, emu emu. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out <laughs> they on do that. dance. They like to dance. Well, there you go. But uh, but this brings effing peacock. Where's that from? I, I heard that. I heard that a week ago. I think. Oh, did you? <laughs> wow. So hurtful. Okay. So I, it was a microaggression. I, I don't think that was me saying <laughs> triggered. It was, I was triggered. But um, uh, it wasn't a microaggression. It was just a, an aggression. <laughs> it was a macroaggression. <laughs> yeah, right. it was just an aggression. <sighs> Little tear. But the question but, is now. Yeah. So the Redskins, uh, who have resisted, or I should say, the Washington NFL Football Club, um, have resisted changing their name forever. And uh, the pressure, which will always be there, is being dialed up. And I just, I can't help but think the owner who's done everything wrong with that franchise. Daniel Snyder, yeah. This is an easy one, right? First of all, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people want you to do it. You can do it and be a hero. But second of all, you can sell everybody who's got one of your jerseys a new yep. jersey. Come on, Danny boy. Do it for the green, if not for uh, for social good. 
But it raises a question, you know, where do you guys stand on the uh, on the Redskins nickname? And then looking at some other places, we have a couple of schools in our in our uh, state that have um, uh, Native peoples as their mascot. And, yeah, and then, of course, uh, <laughs> poor old Miss, they went from getting rid of Colonel Reb mm-hmm. to uh, to Brown Bear Reb, and now they have Tony the Landshark, but they're still <laughs> the rebels. I mean, uh, you know, I, what are they rebelling against? I got to believe it's against the union. Should they be making some more changes? I don't know. The floor is wide open. What, what, what do you think? Sean, you can go first. Well, I definitely think Redskins is, I mean, it's just, it's kind of astounding actually that it's still their nickname. Well, it used to be the, it used to be the Junkin Redskins. So they say they're doing better, right? You know, and and I don't know if uh, Snyder, Daniel Snyder, the owner is some kind of just libertarian or if he's, it's a matter of uh, money and merchandising and sales or uh, who knows, maybe this is an authority, uh, anti-authority complex and doesn't want to be told what to do. But the, the fact that it's still the Redskins is uh is actually hard to get your head around. I mean, red skins. So right when, when, when I you think and, about it, and look Chippewas, at the logo, Chippewas, that's... for example, right, Central Michigan. I mean, that's at least a little different. It's a place, uh, a reservation, I guess, or, or it's more. No, it's a people. But I guess I should say. So I grew up a Redskins fan when I was a kid. I loved uh, I loved the Hogs. I loved the uh, Isman Thiesman. Big Redskins fan. John Riggins. Real, yeah. I had a you know. I still have. Uh, like I think a Redskins bumper sticker, and I think the name should be changed. It's that bad. But here, when you, especially when you look at the history in George Preston Marshall, who just refused to, he was the last guy to sign up. The, the NFL made him sign a black man yeah. to play on his team because he refused to. Who just died, and they honored him three <laughs> yeah. months after he died. Amazing, yeah. Good they, they claim they were thinking about that for a long time. Yes. Not uh, not just this past week when everything started changing. However, I, I, so it should be changed. But if you look at what they used to be called, is that okay? Because they used to be the Boston Braves. Is the Atlanta Braves, is, is that bad? Is the depiction of the Native American they use, is that bad? Chicago Blackhawks, one of the most iconic logos in all of pro sports. Yeah, yeah. In uh, the Fighting Illini, they got rid of uh, their, their chief, chief mascot. Yeah. Um, the Cleveland Indians had one of the most racist logos back in the 50s and 60s. The one today isn't much better. I, I'm just curious... To, yeah. where, to where the line is. Chief Wahoo. That's tough to say Chief that Wahoo's you're honoring somebody. Although the Indians were originally known as the Cleveland Spiders. Spiders, one of the worst teams ever. they changed their names because they had a player who was a Native American who was outstanding. Well, so let's go with those two. Should Indians and Braves be changed? Uh, I guess I would ask uh, the people who are referenced there. Now, when you say Indians, I guess, are we talking about people in South Asia? How do they feel about it? Are we saying Well, we know what they mean. Tribe? We know what they mean. But, uh, you know, in Indians, yeah, I, I, I would not be opposed to changing. Them. I think it's an opportunity and, and Mi- old miss actually was onto something here when they had a contest to pick a new mascot and Admiral Akbar <laughs> was right, almost yeah, chosen. They got national, uh, they got national attention. There was a lot of excitement, uh, a lot of, I think a lot of joy out of that. I think if you have a team that has a nickname that may offend some people, um, does you, does who does I, does Indians offend? I'm sure that uh, there are some Native peoples who would say, "Hey, um, our our heritage and our struggle is not about promoting uh, a team that every 50 years is okay." Sean, 
Well, you know, anytime the colonizers, colonizers get to pick the nicknames, it's, and, 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 and it's a nickname after the people you colonize, it's probably not a, a smart thing to do. Uh, I agree on rebels. Um, that doesn't make any more sense. And I bet that gets changed with uh, with what's finally happening, for sure. Is that because the, they're, the, the, is, is that the they're other, in Mississippi? Is, is it because of where they're at? Because UNLV out in Vegas is the running rebels. They just removed their mascot statue, which is a fictional character, and they're talking about changing it. So is it the location of the school or uh, team as well, well, Sean? I think Mississippi still has the stars and bars in their state flag, right? So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of tough to argue that you're the yeah, you're the exactly. rebels who are fighting with Admiral Akbar. You yeah. know, I mean? well, and, and the other thing too with the, with the Redskins and or the Hurons or Eastern or, or any number of you know the Braves, the Indians. The Native American population is is a fraction, right? It, it's a it's an it's the number's not very big. So the the voice of these folks is not nearly part of the the, the culture. They don't. It's not out there in the same way that it is what the idea of changing the Confederate flag, right? And so I, I you know, folks almost have to speak up on behalf of them. It's it's a matter of math, and um and there's so there's not as much pushback just because of that. And or when there is, it's harder to sustain it because there's just not as many folks. And I think uh, you know we sort of have an obligation to to listen. And then if that's the if that's really what they want to change, we should do it. And by we, I mean you know white folks. Well, I do think that when you have a name that's a, like for for example, we just uh, somebody just sent us an email with a petition. Predatory cats are now asking at the Detroit Lions change their nickname because they're offended to be associated well, <laughs> with that team and i i understand where they're coming from but um but i i think you know there, there's the issue of what you should do but then there's you don't even have to debate that to some regard because you can just say this is a great economic opportunity to re-energize your fan base to make some money and maybe come up with something that's better something that we choose using the standards of 2020 as opposed to 1920 when i think women were just starting to vote so and Jemima changed. just got changed, right? Uncle Ben out. And Jemima's gone, right? And should be. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. Well, and I agree with you with Aunt Jemima, but does it really solve anything? I don't know. I mean, we talked to Tristan about that last week. Is there a train going by? Uh-oh. God damn it. Sorry. Oh, Is that oh, Johnny Cash? Oh, boy. Matt knows how to ruin the debate. <laughs> Hey, Matt, I know you were a little upset with your performance last week, but can you please move your car off the tracks? <laughs> Just pull forward 10 feet. I guarantee Poor you, Maddie. you know, we've talked a lot about people who feel desperate, who feel alone, who feel like they have no one to talk to. We really can't talk to you right now, um, and, and we understand you're alone and desperate, but just if you could move that vehicle um, away from... Uh, Mark, getting back to your point... Oh, okay, you're on the curb, it? then the hell with you. Go ahead. I think it does change. I, I, because it, again, I'll argue this again. It changes the story, the narrative, the idea that uh, here's a good example. So, what happened in Tulsa, right? In the uh, nineteen was it the late teens, early twenties? Yeah, the, yeah. Nineteen twenty one, Black Wall Street. Nineteen yeah. twenty one, right? So, what happened there? That really hasn't been talked about in our culture until the Watchmen. Yeah, the H, the HBO show. That's how I learned. That opened about it. opened its series up with that. It's the worst uh, massacre of black folks in our country's history. At least, you know. In, in one spot before the, uh, or after the Civil War, I should say, in, in the modern history. Yeah. And th th that's now becoming a part of the story. People are, 
are uh, thinking about it differently. It, it matters. That makes a difference. If you don't control or get certain information, not control, but if you don't get information out there, you make decisions in a different way. And I think that's why this matters. Well, and I don't want to take us off the rails here, but did you also read that Warren G. Harding, considered one of the worst presidents in American history, uh, spoke yes, about yeah. his concerns about what happened in Tulsa? He was president at the time and made a point of making a speech calling for more inclusion and equality at a historically black college where he made the commencement speech. Now, Warren Harding had some corruption in his administration, oh, yeah. all that other stuff, but it has me rethinking all kinds of historical things and saying maybe one of the reasons why historians were so harsh on Warren G. Harding is because he was somewhat enlightened on racial issues, and at that time, that would have made you kind of a bad president, right? He just followed uh, Calvin Coolidge, who was okay, but then Coolidge followed uh, Woodrow Wilson was a virulent racist, yeah. but was revered at the time. Uh, for right. So, so why wasn't why is it why didn't we learn about Tulsa in high school in in American history class? Right. I mean, sure. Obviously, that should there should be several pages in in a basic American history, or at least a couple of pages. Right. If you're going through and 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 I just, I just feel like that makes a difference in how you think when you learn and who gets to write history. That's really what we're talking about, right? Okay, so so uh, Redskins, we all think that's time for a change. Uh, Chippewas, where are we on Chippewas? Where are we on, on uh, Florida State Seminoles? Where are we on Fighting Illini? If those, if those tribes don't have a problem with it, why would I have a problem with it? Cleveland Indians, that's I, I, all tribes, that. right? One, Indians one, is trickier. One Indians? tribe says no. They have veto power over all the other tribes? I, I, I don't know. The Indians one is, is tough. Braves is tough. That's another tough one. So I'm, I'm going to offer a solution to owners who are in a tough position because I really like to help out billionaires because I figure they don't get enough breaks uh, even through the latest tax plan. <laughs> do the right thing and make a lot of money. When do you get an opportunity to yeah. do that? This is the time. So, folks, that's your great debate. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? So, uh, before we get to our geeks, I want to get to someone who is most definitely not a geek, who in fact is outstanding at what they do, and that is Lindsay Broadwell, who is our real estate sponsor. And if you realize that being locked in your house is way too small, or maybe you're trapped with a geek, then it's time to call Lindsay Broadwell. When it's time to move into a new house, whether you're buying, selling, or both, you need to contact Lindsay Broadwell. Your house is one of your most valuable investments, and that's why you need an agent you can trust and that knows the business inside and out. Lindsay started her career at Hall Financial, and now she's an expert in real estate. She'll make sure you get the most out of your house, and everything goes smoothly by finding you a new home that fits your lifestyle. Buyers, sellers, especially first-time buyers, make sure you contact Lindsay at broadwellhomes.com. That's broadwellhomes.com or 248-767-7767, 248-767-7767. Lindsay is a real, licensed realtor at REMAX Nexus. That's broadwellhomes.com. And while we're talking about money, saving money, making money, and, uh, and people who look really cool with earrings... Uh, Luke Nowacki would like you to know that some people like to save up for something really nice, like a new earring that looks cool, or maybe even a time machine that can take you back to the 90s when dudes with earrings that weren't pro athletes were a thing. Uh, this, this Where feeling, are you going? This is feeling a little <laughs> personal. If you're wondering how you can get budgeted 
uh, how you can budget for a major purchase, call Luke Nowacki at 248-663-4748 or email at lnowacki, that's L-N-O-W-A-C-K-I, at pinnaclewealthstrategies.com. That's pinnaclewealthstrategies.com. We will have a link to that on our website. He can assist you to devise a plan targeted to help you reach your financial goals, even if they include taking sponsor money and buying yourself a sweet new earring. Hmm. Isn't there one more? We did Geek of the... You haven't told me your Geek oh, of the Week I'm yet. I'm sorry. Securities oh, and investment oh, that? I'm sorry. <laughs> off through Royal Alliance Associates. <laughs> you mean this? Securities Epson. and investment advisory <laughs> services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRAS.PC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, and services. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. That's what I get for sending a text. Dampening, bang, boom. There you go. Sorry. Uh, I should be your geek I of the week Luke now. I love Luke too. Oh, you're back. Hey, I'll tell you what. And, awesome. and at times like this, if you're trying to figure out how to save your money, how to make <laughs> some money, or how to save your ass. What should I do? You need a professional like Luke Nowacki on your side. So give Amen. Luke a call and let him know. Let them all know that ML Elric sent you. So uh, let's, let's get to our geek of the week before we talk about our buddy uh, David Hall. But um, we have, once again, multiple candidates. And we're building up to our first, I believe this is our first repeat champion for oh, Geek of the Week. Cool. But first, mm. our bronze medalist. Grant Schulte, the Associated Press, reports that Nebraska Democratic Party is calling on its candidate for the U.S. Senate to drop out after he wrote in a group chat that he had argued with a female staffer and asked whether the campaign should spend money on, quote, getting her laid. Quote, it will probably take three guys, end quote, he wrote, before describing in graphic deal an imagined group sex scene involving the female staffer. So, uh, so much for the uh, Democrats there in Nebraska, eh? So they want this fella to step aside. He says he won't. I think the voters will take care of that one. He looks like a turd, too. That's just a sidebar. Yeah, and the silver medalist is, uh, is reported to us by Sarah Pulliam Bailey of the Washington Post, who says Atlanta megachurch pastor Louis Giglio set off a firestorm this week when he suggested during a recorded event at his church that the phrase white privilege could be replaced with the phrase White blessing. Quote, we understand the curse that was slavery. White people do, Giglio said during a conversation Sunday about race in America with hip-hop artist Lecrae Moore and Chick-fil-A executive Dan Cathy, who was an evangelical Christian. And we say that was bad, but we miss the blessing of slavery that actually built up the framework for the world that white people live in. (laughs) Oh, my God. Now, he later said, to try to clarify, I don't, to be clear, believe there's any blessing in slavery. Well, here's a pro tip. In the future, choose your words carefully before speaking so that you don't have to, quote, be clear, end quote, later. But our gold medalist is our old friend, mustache aficionado, John Bolton, who I believe is our first repeat champion because first he wanted a court order before agreeing to testify before the House impeachment hearings. He didn't get that court order. Then he wanted to testify before the Senate whether or not he had a court order. He was not allowed to testify. Finally, he writes a tell-all book and then spread it around before a court could rule whether he could, you guessed it, spread the book around. So, Johnny B., which is it? Do you want legal guidance? Do you want to save the republic? Or you just want to cash in? I think I know the answer, but at this point, I don't care. Bolton likes to be seen as a hawk for his hardcore views on foreign relations. He's an animal, all right, but he's no hawk. He's a pig. A greedy, selfish pig. And, of course, our Geek of the Week. 
How long did it take you to grow that mustache? <laughs> the kids are soft. I don't care for that guy. Me neither. Too no. soft. I'm gonna pretend like you didn't just make my dick go soft. Joining us at the embarkation deck from the Wabash Cannonball is a train spotter and historian, <laughs> Matthew Jennings. Matt, thank you, uh, editor of Soft Magazine, bringing us this week in soft history. Woo-hoo! Thanks, guys. I'm actually right here in Holly, Michigan. We're uh, located at the Holly Hotel at the moment. And uh, we just buried my uncle. Oh, no. And that's bad news. My great uncle. He's, he died of COVID, unfortunately. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Way to bring the but, room down. That's okay. I forgive you. Y- you know what uh, else but, is in Holly right now? I'm my, sorry? You know what else is in Holly right now? What? My Ford is at Zot Ford being serviced. So uh, oh. Right on. Zot Ford Wait, is back open. Dealsinthed.com. Check them out. Well, they're actually not advertising right now. We, uh, we, uh, we believe in our sponsors, and so I'm, I'm, I'm giving back. them a referral. I, I, I went in there, and I said, can you fix my car? The Drew and Mike show sent me, and I thought, shit. I Wait. should have said ML Soul of Detroit sent me. Way to make your car sound more important than uh, Matt's great uncle. I was just going to say, yeah, thanks for using Matt's, <laughs> Matt's great uncle to sell Fords. Right. Oh, he would, you know what? He would love it. He's got a great <laughs> sense of humor. In fact, he wanted me to do this for sure. Now, we, were, we were at the burial site, and when Zoovs called me and said, come in and, you know, call in, I'm like, I got to go. And I just dashed. So now, was, but, he, was he an older gentleman or was he like, an yeah, uncle who was, was a great his, uncle, like he was the greatest his, he was uncle. A great uncle, okay. and he was in his, uh, he was in his, I think, early eighties. He was a wow. World War II hero. Wow! And wait, uh, he's he's in his early eighties, and he was in World War II. Yeah, wow. well, maybe it was mid eighties. All I know is he was in World War II. And wow. okay, so I may have tried to sell a car, but I didn't call a dead guy a liar. Hey, Matt, don't let Mike try to rationalize his profiteering. You know what I mean? No, no. So Matt, I'll tell you t- one thing quickly, though. Which t- was, tell us the co- – so I, I love funerals because – not because people are dead, but because you see so many people you care about and you hear so many cool stories about people. Give us a cool story about your uncle. Well, unfortunately, we were at the uh, Holly National Cemetery, and there was a line behind us. So it was literally a 15-minute ceremony. But I will tell you something – and I'm an emotional guy, so maybe it's a little biased to me to say this, but anytime the taps plays, yeah. I sob. Oh my God. It's like it was game over. <laughs> so but that's yeah, about you, but man. tell us about Unky. <laughs> <laughs> he was a great man. He was a nice guy. He farted at my Uncle Gary's funeral, which was awesome. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he loved me, man. He, oh, he always great. asked if Matthew was going to be at the holiday parties. So I like was, that, Matt. You you pulled a, an Elric there. You made it all about you. <laughs> well, fun. I have to since I only That's got five minutes. That's really nice. Well, so anyways, um, besides turning back the axis, he was flatulent. So it's good yes. to... We'll always yeah, have he that. loved you. You cried at taps, and he farted. That's could, that's great. Could that possibly be the source for an eternal flame? Could we have a methane? Is there any sort of opportunity to turn this into a lasting memorial? Oh my God, I think Matt and Mike should have their own show and compete to see who can talk about themselves the most. I didn't. I never knew Matt's great uncle, but he would have loved this conversation. Oh yeah, he would be laughing his butt. Yeah, give uh, us his name so we can look yeah. him up. All right, his uh, name is Francis, but we call him Uncle Bud. Uncle Bud Cruz. Oh, 
Okay. All right. He well, my guy. Rest in peace, Uncle yeah. Bud. Yeah. Sorry, Bud. Thank you. Yeah. That Uncle means a Bud. lot. Well, guess what, guys? That was man, no. That's all the time we have this week, Matt. I said we're out of time, Matt. I know, but, and after uh, all that, now his internet is starting no, no, to fail. Look, he's, he's just got a frozen look on him. <laughs> I saw this guy cry one time. Oh, <laughs> <He's> just... <laughs> oh no. <laughs> this might just be the end. He is in total slow motion, no audio, total disaster. <laughs> this might be the funniest one yet. <laughs> yeah. um, the, wor- the worst part is he's going to be very mad at himself as if he has any control over this. No, it's, this isn't his fault. It's Matt, right. one of the things that you may want to take advantage there in Holly's, I believe they have free Wi-Fi for customers <laughs> at, at the deals in the dot com. No, this isn't Matt's fault. It's Elric's fault. Uh, you know, you know who uh, you know who loves heroes in America, David Hall. Oh, hey, man. Definitely. Okay. It sounds like... Uh, oh, trust me, I tried. That looks like... The, is that the 1223 coming in from uh, from uh, Erie, Pennsylvania? What a disaster. No. Uh, <laughs> right. We should... Uh, Sorry, you want to try this he's, again? He's, good. he's just we mute him. we got to mute that, right? Just, just mute him, Zeus, please. Try it again. <laughs> he sounds hammered. He sounds drunk. <laughs> Matt, we'll, we'll, we'll come back Poor to Matt. you in, in just a minute. Um um, You'll get one shot after we hear about the fine folks at Hall Financial. <laughs> As Matt's just swearing. Right. Can we not mute him? Really? I'll mute myself. Hold on. No, you're good no, now. Now you're fine. You're good. Just stop hey. swearing over the David Hall read that ML is about to start. Yeah. Well, I am so effing sorry. And they are effing good deals, but let's go while you got the connection. <laughs> okay. Well, guess what, guys? This is an session. It's not going to work. No, Sorry, not. I'm just getting everybody ready for the uh, it's, it's the not. new wave segment. <laughs> what? No, go, Matt. Again? Can you please go oh. and do your segment now because <laughs> anyway, the signal is breaking it, up. God. In 1983, the Smiths debuted their first song that would sound like all their other ones. But earlier in 77, Manchester band Warsaw, which later would be known as Joy Division, made their live debut at the Electric Circus. And they were slated to support the band, the Buzzcocks. Yes, the Buzzcocks, who put on a great show and were later washed off and put back in Madonna's nightstand drawer. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Gross. It's, uh, it's, uh, I think she actually used D-cell batteries in that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, D-selling is what I should be doing right now. Right. In 84, Penthouse Magazine announced plans to publish nude photos of Miss American winner Vanessa Williams oh, in their yeah. September issue. The then 21-year-old beauty queen gave up her Miss America title and was the first to resign in the pageant's history because, after all, the Miss America pageant prides themselves on projecting a positive and respectful image of women. And nothing <laughs> says respect for women like making them wear bikinis miles from the ocean. Amen. Yeah, that was a huge scandal when she did that. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I, yeah, I yeah. never, I was never more proud of the First Amendment than I was at that moment. But, <laughs> but while that was a disaster in a lot of ways, how many other pageant winners do you remember? I mean, she turned that yeah. into. Uh, I mean, she was incredibly talented, first of all. But I mean, she has been a a pretty major um, entertainer since sure. then. So go Vanessa. Yeah, it worked for her. I mean, that was a pretty smart move by her, I and mean, we all liked it. Sex sells. Amen. 
I know we we, we can't kind I, of I, a, did. I thought kind it was of, a great idea with the kind of naughty history here, but yes, but well well put and and, and is a very on point view. Continue. That was your All right, cue. two more. In 93, Yale University... Thank you. Thank you, Mark. In 93, Yale University computer science professor David Galertner was seriously injured while opening his mail when a padded envelope containing oh. a bomb exploded in his hands. Police asked the professor if he remembered where the package was sent from. The professor tried to wave off the question, but he was stumped. Ouch. Didn't hmm. he say... Uh, I've got no frigging hands. Call an ambulance. What year was that? 1993. That was in uh, that 1993. Is that a Unabomber? Was that a Unabomber victim? I think it was. Really? Uh, the pride of uh, University right. of Michigan? Yeah. Ted Kaczynski. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. He's from the south side of Chicago. You have from a little town that I used to, uh, Go blue. Really? used to cover at the south town. One of my colleagues, Sean Hamill, had, I think, the first interview with either his mother or his brother. Oh, the brother who helped break the case. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's uh, a fascinating story. There's a good uh, Netflix series on it, too. Well, I, I was working for a newspaper in New Hampshire. I have a couple uh, Unabomber yeah. journalism crossovers. One of them was while working for this paper in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. Of course you do. One of the... Uh, one <laughs> of course the, you do. The owner of the paper. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> so bored. It's, sorry. It's, uh, the owner of the paper was on the board of the Washington Post, and the Washington Post, as you may recall, published the Unabomber Manifesto. Yep. And some of the information that was provided to the Washington Post helped convince them that this was necessary, that they weren't supposed to reveal to the public. He mentioned to us was that the Unabomber was so careful about not leaving anything that could trace the bombs back to him, that he would machine the screws himself that he used to build the bombs. Really? Yeah. Huh. So that's pretty wow. careful. That's, that's fascinating. It is. I mean, Sean's bored by that's it. That's intense. Yeah. It, no, no, and, no. And no for, that, yeah, that, that's wonderful. By the way, Mike's got more prep than I do. I got a text from uh, our mute, our colleague and our friend who's been on the show before, Jim Schaefer. Oh. <laughs> and he just texted and he said, uh, why is Elric not wearing the team uniform? That's bullshit. So. Uh, because I have it as a tramp stamp, which I'll be showing in our uh, our our uh, Soul of Detroit green room, which I, comes out. I just figured you wanted to show your legs off. Are, are, is that your legs, by the way? Are those your legs? Yeah, no, those, uh, those, uh, this, this is my torso. I don't know if you're good at anatomy, but. Uh, no, no, I just, I see something pasty down there. <laughs> those guys go, they go on for miles. That's, anyway, Matt, don't you have that's another? The, that's a Pillsbury Doughboy. Don't you have another, yeah, whatever, whatever this is called? Working his way through Whatever college. this is called. <laughs> this show has really gone downhill bridge. since Chief Craig left. Sean Windsor, humanist. I think that. Okay. <laughs> I think that. Oh my God. I think that bridge was a good idea last week. <laughs> yeah, now you have the chance. Yeah, By okay, the way, the, this. The, have you seen the new Unabomber uh, manifesto? The afterword just says Fire Harbaugh. <laughs> Proud of that one? Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Now that we have a good connection. <laughs> oh, by that, I mean personally. 2018. Yes. Oh, Christ. In a handbasket. Lord help me. What? Ready? That's part of the eulogy. Yes, Finally. Finally. Let's just wrap this. <laughs> Will we ever be ready? Come on, man. In 2018, a boys' soccer team between the ages of 11 to 16 huh, became trapped in a deep underground oh. cave for more than two weeks. The event, which became a global media sensation, ended with an extremely dangerous rescue effort. And fortunately, all the boys were rescued, leaving behind only bad memories. And some wadded up tissue paper and a bottle of Jergens lotion. Well, I thought you were going to tell us that that cave had a tie into Madonna, but that's good. I'm glad you kept it uh, classy. 
Never well, let's put it you this way. It sounded like somebody mixing uh, Big Bullet Potato Salad. Oh, gross. Wow. Um, now I know why Elon Musk wanted to go get him. Um, I hope Chief Craig doesn't watch this. I hope, I hope that you guys just delete this whole portion. No, God, no. I might move it before Chief Craig. Oh, God. Wow. That's great. <laughs> and then well, we, I love you guys. Anyway. <laughs> Matt, uh, we, uh, we extend our condolences on the loss of your great uncle. And, I, and I, on the loss of this segment for the future. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> we are now going to call this, uh, this segment uh, This Week in Soft History, On the Road with Matt Jennings. Uh, or as he's known in the uh, trade, Matt Dial-Up Jennings. So, uh, yeah. so thank you, Matt. Um, yeah, that was soft history-like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're just getting a connection here. Um, David Hall and Hall Financial, they connect right away and very quickly. They care about the community, so they're working from home around the clock to help people money save money by refinancing. It's a great time to look at your options, and that's why many people are refinancing right now. If you haven't refinanced in the last year, Hall Financial is here to help. Now's the time to lower your monthly payments and keep some extra money in your pocket as we go through very turbulent times. By refinancing, you can probably skip up to two payments. So why not see if you can save some money or cut your terms? Hall Financial Service is the fastest in the business. That's why they have nearly 1,500 five-star reviews from Michigan homeowners. In fact, they have more than that just since we started this segment. Go to our webpage and click on the logo to get started or call 248-308-5000. Ask for my man, Dan Morrison. Hall Financial, lower payments, better options, more personal attention, 248-308-5000. And ML, that's 146-7435. Hey again! There's an all-night party in If new wave music has a godfather, it is probably David Bowie, who I was going to call the Thin White Duke, but maybe we should change his nickname too. Let's just call him the the Tall Thin Duke. And there are so many great new wave hits by David Bowie, and all of his music is so well known and respected. It's hard to pick a uh, a song or a tune that has not gotten the acclaim that it deserves. But I'm going to take a shot at it because I want to share with you a, a piece of music by David Bowie, originally by Pat Metheny, that Bowie added some lyrics to for the movie The Falcon and the Snowman. Oh, and uh, and we're going to listen to this tune called "This Is Not American." Afterwards. We're going to talk a little bit about why we picked it and about Tristan Taylor and James Craig and you. This is not America. Little piece of you. The little piece in me. Well, this is not a miracle. For this is not America. Blossom fails to bloom the season Promise not to stay too long This is not America For this is not the miracle Bear with the time There's no 
favorite David Bowie song is Ashes to Ashes and and one of the reasons why and there's so many great David Bowie songs is if you like the Venture Brothers the Venture Brothers yeah. did an entire episode based on Ashes to Ashes really with uh, Major Tom and the Action yeah. Man yeah in fact they there's dialogue that's cribbed right from Ashes to Ashes um, when uh, Major Tom crashes into the ocean and the Action Man is uh, on the on the on the uh, the deck of the explorer ship um, there for the rescue and, huh. and their uh, their relationship uh, comes Love into Bowie. clearer focus. But uh, but the reason why I picked this is not America, besides the fact that it's a great song and and maybe something that people don't think about uh, when they think of all the great Bowie hits so much, is because we got a lot of feedback after last week's show, and I think we're getting a lot of a lot of discussion in America that makes me feel like this is not America. And, and I, I feel like I misspeak when I say discussion because it's not discussion when people are shouting and turning their backs and, um, and unfriending people. And uh, I, I was thinking about, uh, we've done a lot of shows on the protests. Uh, we've covered it from a lot of angles. It's still going on. It's still interesting. It's still relevant. I think we're going to try and change things up in, in future shows. For, so for those folks who have had their fill, we appreciate you hanging with us a little longer. But I want to tell one more personal protest story. On the night that police moved in on, on uh, protesters who had violated the curfew and made mass arrests, a, uh, a friend of mine had offered me an extra gas mask that he had. I didn't really think I needed it, but I, 
after seeing what happened Sunday, um, I brought it with me um, on that, that Tuesday when the, the arrests were made on Gratiot. Now, I don't talk about my political views. I hope they're hard to guess. I think people have, have made some conjecture, and that, that's fine. I know enough about this person's political views that I suspect that um, he feels that our votes will cancel each other out in November. I don't know if he's right or not, but I, my guess is that, that he thinks that. Um, and that's fine. This is a great dad. He's a great guy. He's a, he is a great public servant. Um, he has helped uh, my kids. Um, I hope we've helped his kids, but I know that when you look at how much uh, help kids have gotten, uh, we are in a deficit there. Um, he sent me a text just before the cops moved in and said, hey, do you need me to come pick you up? And I said, no. I said, I'm good. I got the mask on. Thank you very much. So this is somebody who uh, I think probably figures we don't agree on things. And here's what happened after, after all the gas was dispersed. Everybody had been separated. We're walking back to our car to, um, to go back to the newspaper, and a pickup truck pulls up. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's this? You know, you don't really like to have somebody pull up on that part of the east side real quick. It's, it's my friend and his son. And they're like, we came to give you a ride anyways. And I said, no, we're good. We're going back to the station but that, to me, is America. Now, again, uh, I hope my views are not that well known so nobody can tell whether we agree on things. But here's somebody who went out of his way, first of all, to look out for my welfare before I hit the street. Then, being told, please stay home, came out after a pretty hairy situation to look out for my welfare. And these are the kind of people... And these are the kind of Americans that I really think we need to be because we find things that we don't agree on and then we cut people off. That's not America. We tell people, uh, you had a marcher on last week, so I'm done with you. Well, you know, everybody in, uh, has a right to be heard. And for those of you who gave up on us, I know you're not hearing me now. Maybe your friends will tell you. Yeah. But this week we heard Chief Craig. So sometimes when you don't hear something you like, you just need to sit your ass down and listen a little bit because next week you might hear something you like or you might hear the other side or it might open your eyes. Um, that's what we need to do. We need to listen to each other and we need to, um, we need to think about whether this is America or this is not America. Yeah, not and be so angry. Maybe realize that uh, people are people. And I like that Chief Which is Cr also a very good new wave song. People are uh, people. So. Yeah. Also very well known. So <laughs> we'll come up with a better Depeche Mode song. But anyways, that's my diatribe. Um, I, I love it. You're allowed to disagree with people. It doesn't, you know, doesn't mean you, you hate them or they should hate you. So for Father's Day, I gave my friend a, a nice card and tried to return the gas mask. He said, keep it. But I did give him a sold Detroit trucker hat, which you can get at MikeStore.com. <laughs> turned into a plug. Now, of course, I, I do get those at a significant discount. But anyways, it was meant to be uh, as I, symbolic a gift as anything else. I so. just appreciate that you turned that lovely story into a plug uh, for uh, DrewAndMikeStore.com. Yes. Or there's a link at mlsolidetroit.com. Oh, is there? Yeah, I got it up there. So if you just hit store, it'll take you right there. Very simple. And if people want to support the show but they don't like hats, is there another way they could support the show? Uh, yeah, well, while you're at that site, if you just click on donate instead of store, you can do it that way. And, and that's America Commerce as well. Yeah, so mlsolidetroit.com. You can donate if you want to buy your own hat. Uh, maybe you don't have a gas mask to lend me. You can go to drewandmikestore.com. Well, we also have a discount on uh, hockey jerseys and stuff like that. But... Uh, Sean, what do you think about about uh, Mr. Bowie, Aladdin Sane? 
Oh, I, I love David Bowie. Yeah, I don't I don't like it that you try to co-opt him into you know New Wave, but uh, but I love Bowie. As uh, probably his most successful album was a New Wave album. Yeah, Modern Love. Yeah. Uh, Let's Dance. Let's dance. Big, mean, isn't that his biggest hit? Let's Dance. Didn't yeah, it just uh, uh, Whatever. That's sort of his. I don't know. It's my least favorite stuff, the '80s stuff. But I understand why you like it, Mike. But uh, you know. How about uh, America? Do you love the Big A? The Big A. I like your story. Okay, we'll take. You, how about this show? Do you like this show that you're on? Story. I do sometimes. <laughs> I, I like. I like Mark. <laughs> Yay. Like so, Sean, on, on the issue of intolerance, um, you wrote about a guy who had a very controversial take on mask wearing, a fellow named Aubrey Huff, who was uh, with the Detroit Tigers in, it, so briefly and was such a bust that it's best that we not think about him. But you, uh, you wrote about him, and, and, and he, uh, he wrote to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, he won a couple of World Series with the, with the Giants. He was, had a couple of timely hits. He made a uh, video, he filmed himself and talking about why he didn't want to wear a mask, saying that he thought Jesus wouldn't have worn a mask, and basically saying he knows more than the scientists, that nobody knows anything, and that he's got the Holy Spirit in him, and unless you have the Holy Spirit in, you can't discern reality from, from, or, or from you know, what's real from what's not. And uh, so I just kind of wrote a column about this sort of anti-science movement we're on, the idea that... Uh, the experts are uh, no good. I understand that scientific uh, isn't always, there's always not always, there's not always consensus, but in any case, mm-hmm. I wrote a column kind of criticizing him. He tweeted at me and said, I didn't have any balls, called me a soy boy. Um, that was fake news. I guess I like soy. I don't know. I tweeted back at him that he might like soy if he mixed it with sake and mirin and little white miso and, Kind of enveloped around some fish, put it on a grill. It's pretty tasty, and uh, he didn't respond to that, but uh, we'll see. So I learned a little tip from watching Black Mass that I now use whenever I make hamburgers. I, I put uh, a little ground garlic and some soy. That was the secret to the FBI supervisor's uh, steak. But, yeah, soy's good. Soy boy, too, then. Little, little ground garlic and a little bit of soy. So he, he replied to you on Twitter, or did he tweet at you? He tweeted at me, and... Um, Said uh, so. Here's the thing. I guess I should say this. He tweeted at me. He said, uh, "At least show some balls and tag me on Twitter, right?" Because when I tweeted my column out, I didn't include his Twitter handle. Yeah, I don't ever do that. I don't know really many journalists who do that. And no. I was talking about this earlier. It's kind of a no-win situation, especially for me as a columnist. If I'm being critical and I tag somebody, I'm. Uh, it's almost like, hey. Screw you, yeah. right? It's an added piece of aggression. If I'm praising somebody, then you're almost kind of like trying to curry favor or something. And it's uh, so you can't, you don't really win. I don't know many journalists who tag the subjects of their pieces, columns, and so forth. Well, it almost it, it almost seems like if you do that, you're trying to get their attention for that reason. So you're right. Like, hey, come look at this. You know, I yeah. think you're a dickhead. And, uh, excuse my language, but the, and and here's what I want everybody to think. In his world, though. Um, you know, I guess that's a manly thing to do is is to tag somebody. And, well, I think and you should have just said, uh, "Hey, Arbor, you got tagged out enough in Detroit." So uh, we am- figured we'd. I, I gotta say, it's amazing you didn't tag him when you put it on Twitter, but somehow he found out about it. Yeah, no, exactly. I know it's it, 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 funny, but he. Uh, a lot of the people that agree with him, and I've been hearing from him all week um, on Twitter and some in email, but just this idea that hey, you know, you have a right to 
wear your mask. I have a right not to. It's just the disconnect between well, my wearing a wet and wearing a mask isn't going to hurt anybody, right? Puts well, it, I mean, it well, makes, well, I texted you after I read the column, and I said, I find it interesting. Where was he? Is he, is he fighting against the businesses that uh, want you to wear a shirt when you go in there or shoes? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just another piece of clothing. If for anything, just do it to make other people feel bad and know that you're the smartest person ever because you know they don't work, but you're still going to wear it, yeah, quote, unquote. And, and yeah, I had, I had one of his followers or friends, I guess, is some lawyer in Vegas, and he tweeted at me. It says, when are the ladies going to learn never to mess with Aubrey Huff? So this is kind of the response of me, right? Call me a lady. Yeah. Or uh, that I was belonged to the Joseph uh, Gerbil School of Journalism. And on, <laughs> on, on, on. To your point, though, Mike, about you know not listening and disagreeing and running, and it's kind of amazing that this is where we're at. Yeah. I'm sorry. What were you saying? I wasn't listening. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I no. I will say I, this, Sean. Oh, you do have big balls, and you are, and you have a big heart. I have small balls. Are uh, you gonna cry again, Matt? Big yeah. breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Though. Well, um, let's get to our mailbag. He seems very. I'll be sorry. Aubrey Huff seems very thin-skinned. Mailbag. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Speaking, their speaking of Sean's big, big balls. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Aubrey, uh, I know why you had time to read all these tweets, because uh, if you're waiting for the hall to give you a call, um, you know, don't worry about call waiting. Uh, uh, he's got a ring and you don't. So Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, I have a knuckle ring. <laughs> mailbag and i got that by myself okay so we are up to 490 ratings including six one-star ratings but our new reviews are all five stars betty writes not living in detroit but love my hometown and love keeping up with the local politics and scuttlebutt ml and team rocket hilarious but earnest and insightful commentary Hmm. knight of the brown star says and maybe that's maybe this is one of the last things that was written by matt's (laughs) uncle um one of my favorites keep up the good work a bit too much, Sean, just enough Mark, and never enough ML. So way to go, Uncle Bud. Not Dreamweavered opines, entertaining and informative. ML delivers lighthearted commentary to serious local issues. With the help of Mark, Sean, and the soft history guy, it's a well-rounded show. So uh, we appreciate your ratings and your reviews. Very please, uh, Please clock in on, uh, on iTunes or wherever you can rate us and subscribe. Our mailbag was a little tougher. In fact, uh, there were so many words that were sent in capital letters. I have to believe it's just humidity making the keyboard stick, but perhaps not. <laughs> Two weeks ago, after my free press colleague Mark Kurlianchik joined us to talk about the downtown protests and the state of local bars and restaurants, Michael wrote, Please email when you get less political. At least fake being open-minded. Really want to like the show. I'm going to take that as a positive. Thank you, Michael. After that same show, my pen pal Marnie wrote, Great job on the protest downtown. She even intimated that she might be visiting from Austin with an extra bottle of beer or two for yours truly. But after protest organizer Tristan Taylor joined us last week, she said, in part, How pathetic a human being this man is to say that what he said said about officers being killed in the line of duty. I realize you pressed him a little on being harsh, but at that point I'd have shut him down. This isn't a movement. It's an attempt to dissemble society and plunge it into chaos. Try having an officer who lost a partner to urban crime or a spouse that lost their partner to a criminal on your show. 
This pile of garbage, Tristan, is broad-brushing the good men and women in law enforcement just as he believes his community has been broad-brushed. He should get over himself and start looking at people's individuals. I suggest you put on your big boy pants and watch the Atlanta video, all of it, and then tell me again how this wasn't justified. I'm sorry he fired a taser at the officer that could have incapacitated him, that he could have tried to grab his gun and shoot him and his partner. He fought both cops and was throwing them around like rag dolls, and you're telling me that the officer shouldn't have feared for his life. Really disappointed in this and the guest you chose, but look on the bright side. You guys will get all your wish, and soon there will be no police to save anyone from the criminals. I thought you were an unbiased reporter, and I guess those are dying out as fast as the police will. Phew. I sent what I thought was a thoughtful and sincere response, and as tactfully as possible, asked whether there might still be a chance of getting that beer, but I have not heard back yet. So anyways, I, I hope to hear back from Marnie, but I think a lot of those points Marnie raised were raised by this week's guest, Chief Craig, about the Atlanta shooting. So please, folks, let's listen to each other. Even when, we're, when we hear stuff we don't agree, let's listen in the hopes that we'll get to something we can agree on. And we're allowed to disagree. I agree with some of the points she made in that email, and I yeah. disagree with some of the points she made in that email, and that's, that's fine. Oh, yeah, and she's, she's, she's a sweetheart whether I get the beer or not, but... As you may or may not know, I'm a positive person, so in an effort to end this show on a high note, I'd like to read a note I just found tucked in an old book. Oh. So here's a little correspondence pre-podcast, but I think it may be relevant. Dear Mike, I just want to thank you again for a great time at prom. Dinner was excellent, except for that drunk lady who remembered my smile. The dance was really fun, and the, show at the, the view at the Westin was really awesome. I still have those silver balloons, the beautiful flowers, and the great memory of your very clever stretch cummerbund joke. I also enjoyed meeting all of your relatives and your friends, including the German rebel. Thanks again. I had an excellent time with fond memories. Kia. So there's our correspondence this week. We found a way to end on a positive note. And I also want to thank this week's donors, which include Frank. Thank you, Frank. And, and Frank. So, oh, well. So thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. So, <laughs> Where would we be without Frank? Yeah, no. So, uh, so thank you very much. Uh, as society and business reopens, uh, dealsinthedeed.com is open. And if you're looking for a pedal pub ride, they are doing some socially distance responsible rides at michigandpedaler.com. That's Michigan, P-E-D-A-L-E-R.com. We may do our own ride again this summer. we got to talk about that, but we might see you out on the bike. So, uh so I think that's it, folks. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate our guests, our sponsors. Please, if you do business with them, let them know that you found a bottom from ML Soul of Detroit. You can and buy our swag at uh, drewandmikestore.com. And I uh, appreciate Matt putting up with all the abuse today with his uh, terrible internet. You guys are back now, by the way, Sean. Yeah. And, uh, internet, yeah, we so. see. Talk about a game. Glad you got man. that echo fixed. <laughs> the, guy, the guy goes to his funeral and then comes on to do the show. So that's uh, yeah. Matt. We. <laughs> We tip our we tip our uh, ML Soul of Detroit trucker hats available for twenty dollars at DrewMikeStore.com to you and your uncle. And thank you, Sean, for just being thank Sean. You. I love Sean. <laughs> I don't know if Sean's even listening. Special anymore. thanks to you Sean's know, wife for letting him out of the garage. Sean didn't do his live stream in the bathroom today, so good job. What? <laughs> Actually, because of a prostate, that stream isn't so live. But, yeah, uh, maybe he took that thing that, uh, what's his name, uh, sells on TV. Oh, Saul Palmetto. Thiesman. Yeah, uh, the Isman, Joe the Isman. Yeah. yeah. Boy, I really hope Chief Craig didn't listen to the rest of the show. Uh, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> we may have, he may have his own tribunal. He's like, how the hell did you get me involved in this? Anyways, um, please rate the show, subscribe to the show. 
Share the show. You can follow show news on Facebook, on my Facebook page, M-L-E-L-R-I-C-K. You can follow me on Twitter, at Elric. Um, and, uh, and please support the entire Red Shovel Network. That includes... No BS News Hour with Charlie LaDuff, who I understand had a very interesting show this week, as usual. The uh, No Filter Sports with Eli, Denny, and Bob. And, of course, the show that makes all the other shows possible, the Drew and Mike podcast featuring our host, Drew Lane. Sorry about uh, what I did to your toothbrush. And, of course, Mr. Mark Fellhauer, who labors <laughs> there every other day of the week. You have been listening to ML Soul of Detroit. Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All the world is waiting for you And the power you possess In your satin tights Fighting for your rights And the old red, white, and blue